Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor and our Where Are They Now feature series. This series is brought to you by JBM SOS, a fast and flexible talent solution where founders and VCs tap into an exclusive pool of scale-up operators to plug urgent leadership gaps on an interim or fractional basis, which helps to de-risk senior hiring. To find out more, simply head over to jbmc.co.uk. Today marks the final episode of this special mini-series, and what a brilliant guest we have for you. I'm joined by Timothy Armu, co-founder and CEO of the recently acquired influencer agency Fanbytes, who's also a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient and a fellow LinkedIn top voice. It's always great to catch up with previous mentors, but this one is extra special considering the recent news of Fanbytes acquisition. Timothy and I discussed the behind the scenes workings of their deal with Brain Labs, how he landed some of the biggest clients in the industry and what the future of influencer marketing looks like. So for the final time this mini series, please sit back, relax and enjoy this episode with the recently exited founder and all round great guy, Timothy Army. Timothy, welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor. It's so nice to see you again. How are you doing today? Very good. Very good. Cannot complain at all. Had a good workout today and everything else. So It always starts the day off in the right way, doesn't it? Good stuff. Well, um, you've been on an amazing journey scaling Fanbytes over the last few years. And since you last came on the podcast, you've grown the team to over 65. And you recently sold to the award-winning global media agency, Brain Labs. So many, many congratulations on that. Before we dive into that big news, though, for anyone that hasn't listened to the previous episode and not heard of Fanbytes before, can you give us a, just a quick overview of what the business does? Yeah, sure. So Fanbytes, I began in my second year of university five years ago. And basically what we did was we built tools and services to help brands to reach a Gen Z audience using influencers. And so everyone from, you know, Nike, Samsung, McDonald's and the UK government, we helped them to really reach an audience on social. And yeah, and that was pretty much the thesis that we started off with. And the thesis be right. And so, yeah, five years in, we just sold the business to Brain Labs, who are a great next partner for the business. Fantastic. You mentioned there some of the incredible brands you've worked with, Nike, Estee Lauder. I know you also led the government's COVID messaging for Gen Z, which is obviously a, a really, really important thing. So a lot of people listening to this will say, how did this young entrepreneur get in front of such incredible clients? Like, What were some of the biggest hurdles that you had to overcome to land those sorts of big projects and companies? And, and what advice do you have for any other founders listening that hearing this super inspired, but might have imposter syndrome, particularly when it comes to working with those sorts of big brand names? Good question. No one's actually ever asked me that before. So that's good. So, you know, about 95% of our revenue was inbound driven which is kind of insane, right? So Nike, they Lauder, and all those, they came through. And the reason why they came through was because we put out a lot of content, which most importantly showed the expertise that we have as a business. And so we never said, all right, you know, this is how we land Nike, this is how we land Estee Lauder. We never even said, you know, this is how we land the government. But it was very much around, we put out the right, 
bits of content and most importantly, showing our expertise. So for example, you know, how we landed Estee Lauder might be saying, all right, you know, these are the top five things that beauty brands need to reach a Gen Z audience. And then we put it out and we run some ads, you know, targeting the right people. And then they will come in as a consequence of the expertise. So I think the big thing, whenever you are trying to, you know, land big companies, I think always understand for most big companies, they don't actually have to do anything, right? Like they don't have to use a service. They don't have to use your product. But if you can create enough of a thing where of a competitive tension to show, you know, for example, with a beauty brand, right? It was like top five beauty brands who read Gen Z. And I think one of Estee Lauder's brands was like fourth, right? And so suddenly it's actually competitive tension that's driving them, which is how do we become better than Charlotte Tilbury? How do we become better than that? And like, that's the forcing function that will get people to commit basically. So I think A, leading with expertise and then trying to create that sense of urgency from the company, because actually the worst thing for someone working in a big company is to use like an unproven company as a provider and then they fail because then that person looks like an idiot and that person may lose their job. So if you can start to operate from like a different perspective, that's the way that you're going to land these brands. Yeah, great advice. We've already touched upon it, but the big news in your life and for Fanbytes is the the acquisition by Brain Labs recently. And it's made big headlines and it really is something to be applauded and lauded. So I I can only imagine how proud you must be. Can you share a little bit of the behind the scenes workings of that deal? Like how did it come to be? And what does this mean for the future of Fanbytes? What does this mean for you personally? Because it's uh, you've obviously reached the top of the mountain. So uh, yeah, tell us more. Yeah. I've reached a pinnacle for those who are listening. I'm currently just in my house. Some people are surprised that I'm not in the Bahamas somewhere, but that's going to come in August. So, that's cool. <laughs> so, I mean, the inner work of the deal. I mean, so we had at the end of last year, I'd say Q3 last year, we we had a lot of different approaches from companies, you know, some strategic, some PE companies. And for us, it was almost like what would enable fanbuys to play bigger, get to that next level of growth. And additionally, we were also, or at least I was also increasingly aware that I think influencer marketing no longer sits in a silo. And so actually it's part of an overall marketing plan and the overall marketing mix. And so I think when we started getting a lot of interest from people, I thought, okay, well, maybe this is actually the market telling us something. This is the market telling us that, you know, A, strategics want to include influencer marketing in their overall mix rather than having specialists do this. And also PE companies see the value of influencer marketing as a as a product and as a service. And so we then began a process. We actually then appointed like an M&A company who worked with us and we ran a process and we ended up having, you know, a, a number of letters of intent from companies. And I made the decision that, you know, Brain Labs were the right fit in terms of culturally, in terms of ambition, in terms of like the way that they saw the... Fanbytes being part of Brain Labs, right? For example, one of the big things is I think by the end of the year, Fanbytes brand 
wouldn't exist, basically. It would fold into the Brain Labs business and it'd be known as Brain Labs Influencer. I think that's really good. And I do believe in that type of really sensible integration. So I like that. And so as a consequence of all those different things, that's the reason why we went for them. Uh, Future of Fanbytes, I think the team, you know, we built a team of 65, uh, 70 people. And I think, you know, Brain Labs is a great home for them to just go on and execute and just play bigger, mature their capabilities around broader marketing. We had a lot of young people, 24, 25-year-olds, 21-year-olds, who for them, all they've ever known is influencer marketing. And so being able to be part of Brain Labs and being able to broaden out has been quite strong there. So I think, yeah, that's the inner workings of the deal and that's how we came to that decision. Yeah, nice. And what does it mean for you, you Timothy? What are your plans? Yeah, well, I think because I'd been, you know, quite a key part of the fan by story over time, I think that the worst thing that would have been possible would be, you know, we drew a lot of press, as you know, from, you know, BBC, Times, everyone's talking about it. I think the worst thing would have been for people to just go, oh, cool. They've just been acquired and then the founding team has just left, basically. I think that the optics of that would not have looked good for both our customers, but Brain Labs customers, and also for the team as well. So I'm supporting in terms of, you know, like building that next layer of management, thinking about the future of influencers and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's really been my focus. Because some people ask me, do you instantly leave? And I go, I mean, most founders say, yeah, instantly leave. But I actually think that in our type of, just given the journey of FAMAS, I think that would have created a bit more instability. So, you know, being able to be there to help hire the next layer of management and stuff is important. Yeah, it allows for that seamless transition, doesn't it? It's obviously a an exciting change for the business and it's the evolution of it the next stage but i think sometimes having that continuity is really important no definitely it's a good segue we talked about influencer marketing how it's changed and and i guess the, the acquisition to some extent shows you know how big an industry it is now but can you give a bit of an insight from your perspective on how it's changed in the last few years and what opportunities are there for any businesses listening now to kind of get involved if they haven't already? There's a term I call like influencer 3.0, which is basically the idea that now influencers are becoming brands and brands are becoming influencers. And I think um, in like influencer 1.0, it was the Zoellas of the world and all those who were doing their stuff around YouTube and Really, they were making money from the revenue from brands, but also platform revenue. And then Influencer 2.0 actually became more like short form video where people could niche down into specific things. And now we're in Influencer 3.0. A very good way to think about influencers is basically just as a media owner. Like they own an audience and then you pay to have the audience. But I think that there's an evolution of that, which is if you imagine, and I think TikTok has driven this quite a bit, which is that like the lines between consumers and influencers are just increasingly blurred right now. It's like you can create a good video on TikTok or on Instagram Reels or or YouTube Shorts, and that would do so well. And if you're featuring a brand in there, it's like, oh, this random person with 400 followers got 10 million views on their post and that then drove them to sell out of this product etc so i think right now where we are is 
not so much as influences as someone that you work with, give your product, but like influences as a creative format. So if you think about influencer marketing, you've got someone who would basically do your storyboarding. You've got someone who do your production. You've got someone who would do your ideation all in one influencer. And that's effectively the same way you treat like a creative agency. And the creative agency would give you your content and then you can distribute it anywhere you want on like digital, out of home, et cetera. So I think right now with influencers, the way brands should be thinking about it is this, yes, on one level, you could say, you know, we give them our product and then they distribute it. But like actually think about it as like a creative format. They're actually providing you with a format that you're not aware of, which you can then use for everything else, like programmatic, out of home, display, all that stuff, which was one of the big thesis that I had around the Brain Labs acquisition. I was like, well, if we do sell the business or when we do sell the business, actually it should feed into the broader narrative of what influencer marketing is, which is the fact that it's becoming more of a creative format. It's becoming more of the overall mix of marketing. And like, that's how I think brands should be thinking about it rather than just, you know, we gave this person our product, they posted about it and that's it. Yeah, no, it's really interesting to hear your opinions on this. And, and you can definitely see why Brain Labs acquired uh, the business, given just kind of the positioning that you've created in the market as a real leading light and real thought leader on it. Switching lanes a little bit, but one topic that we've covered quite a lot on 40 Minute Mentor is kind of the lack of funding to founders and businesses that are founded by black entrepreneurs. And you've previously stated in interviews that you always see yourself as an entrepreneur first and a black entrepreneur second. But obviously you will now be continually kind of sort of heralded in the media as, as you know, an exited founder. So could you elaborate a bit more on, on kind of why you said that and share any advice for any black founders that are listening to this or anyone from an underrepresented community that might be struggling to raise funds or struggling to get the traction that can kind of take a lot of inspiration from your story? Yeah. So I think that I mentioned that when I did the whole BBC article, and I've also said it quite a few times that when I'm in a few group chats with, you know, founders or just talking with other black founders, one of the things that they often say is, funding is really hard, or they'd share articles of white founders getting funding and stuff like, must be nice. And I just always think, well, that's just such a terrible way to look at things. Because the moment you start seeing yourself as like a black founder, what you end up doing is you then end up almost acting with all the facts that impact black founders. And you end up acting like that. So you end up going into conversations with investors expected not to raise money or you don't even approach the VCs or investors because you think they wouldn't give you money or you think this, blah, blah, blah. And I look at it in a very simple way, which is like fundamentally, VCs and investors are in the game of wealth creation. They are in the game of we put something in now and we want it to grow. And so being able to focus as an entrepreneur on like the traction, the growth story, and just like focusing on that fundamentally means that you would like, if you focus on that and you approach your business in a very objective way about the growth, about the story, then that's the way you win, right? And look, like some people may go, well, how do you know? And it's like, well, we raised, I think, not a lot of money because that was by design for us not to 
raise a chunk of money, but we raised like two million. I and my co-founder are black and all of our investors are white, right? And it's like, cool, that's fine. But they invested because the business was going up and to the right. And we had progress and we kept showing up with more progress and all that stuff. And then all of these guys have made a ton of money from it. So I think like that's my mentality around this whole like black founder and founder narrative is that the moment that you start saying, you know, I'm a black founder. So, okay, now let's think about the stuff around like a funding or this thing or blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, or just focus on being a founder, focus on being an entrepreneur, like focus on building a product, focus on getting sales. And then like fundamentally, VCs and angels and all those guys, they invest so they can make more money. So build something that helps them make more money. They don't care what you look like. And, you know, maybe there's a few who do, but they are such a small minority that by and large, if you come to the conversation with that mentality of like being objective, focusing on solving problems. And there's a quote by, I think it was by uh, Cal Newport, which was taken by some guy who said like, be so good, they can't ignore you. Like just be objectively good and build a business objectively good. That is like, well, of course, I don't care who runs this business. This thing looks like it's doing well. I want to put in a pound and get two pounds back. Like very simple business. That's the way that I tend to think about it. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting perspective on it. And and I think your advice is, whether it's for black founders or underrepresented founders or just any founders, it's very uh, relevant to everybody, right? Uh, around, you know, focusing on being the best you possibly can be and going into those conversations with the right sort of frame of mind. I think something we've also talked about is that there's no denying that the VC landscape is historically very white, <laughs> very, you know, very, very male dominated. And I think one of the most important things just in general for the ecosystem is is around getting more investors that are from a broader cross-section of society. I think that can only help, but I think your points are really valid. Uh, so thank you for sharing. Before we end today's chat, to the fill me in on what the rest of 2022 holds for you. I know you've got a nice holiday lined up, which is very well deserved, but what else have you got that you're really looking forward to in the, the months ahead? I think the biggest thing that I'm focusing on at the moment is around two things. So first one is increasing my understanding of the financial markets and the financial world. So I knew about, you know, things like index funds, stocks, etc. But like increasingly I'm just learning like that was just the tip of the iceberg and there's, you know, so much to learn. So that I find very interesting because it's almost like me starting again the same way that I learned new things around, you know, marketing and business and all that stuff. I feel like I'm starting again to you know, learn about the new world of wealth management. And then additionally, really thinking about growing my network, right? I think one of the things, and for a lot of people in who are building their businesses, you come to realize that a lot of business success is not really your unique skills or capabilities. I mean, yes, that's, you should, you know, not be a moron. But I think the most important thing is that, you know, being able to have a network of people, being able to build that expertise. And so I think those two things I'm focusing on, and I've got a bunch of other stuff around, like, I own a number of e-com brands, which are doing very well, where 
I own a majority of them and someone runs it. But that's more just like fun business stuff. But for me, those three things are like increasing my knowledge of the financial markets and also just networking with interesting people. Because I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but you know, I'm 27. And I think there's a whole host of people who, you know, this whole path of like exiting a business and having, I guess, retirement money. There's a whole host of people who've been through this exact transition every single time. So I think that for me is very profound. So that for me is what I'm focusing on at the moment. Always learning. I love it. I love it. I'm not surprised that you, you, you're keeping busy and uh, always looking to, to keep improving. And uh, I, I'm very excited to see what the next phase of the journey brings for you, Timo. It's really wonderful to see all the success you've had since you last came on the podcast and it's massively deserved. So thank you so much for coming back on. Uh, I always enjoy our conversations and uh, yeah, excited to do this again in a few years and we'll see where you're at. I'm sure this isn't the end of the entrepreneurial journey. So uh, yeah, enjoy a well-deserved holiday when it comes. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Thanks. Timothy is still so young and yet has achieved so much. I really admire everything he and his team have achieved and the acquisition couldn't have happened to anyone more deserving. I'm particularly proud of him as we actually went to the same school, albeit he went many years after me. And I know that he didn't have the easiest of upbringings growing up on a council estate in South London, but he never let that get in the way of dreaming big. And he's a great example of social mobility in action. And I'm sure his story and success will inspire many others. It's certainly inspired me. I also think we can learn a lot from his approach to entrepreneurship and his hunger to always keep learning. And I'm pretty certain this won't be the last successful company he'll build. So I'm excited to see what he does next. After a while, just that holiday, of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I really hope that you enjoyed catching up with some of your favorite 40 Minute Mentors from the last few years. Next week, we're kicking off another feature series. And this time we're focusing on venture capital. We're going to be welcoming some of the leading VCs in the industry to pick their brains on a variety of subjects from actionable advice for any founders looking for funding right now, or how to deal with the current economic downturn. We'll talk about diversity and inclusion in the industry, something that it's not always been that well known for, and also picking their brains on trends they're seeing and what the future of the industry might be. There are some absolutely cracking interviews with some incredible investors, so I really can't wait for you to hear it. So if this all sounds interesting to you and you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, don't forget to leave us a review. All of this helps us to make mentorship even more accessible to a wider audience. That's all for me today. Take care and I'll see you next week for another 40 minutes of mentorship.